Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message from one of our pastors, Jim Walsh. I'm going to dive into the Word this morning and um, sometimes, you know, there's just certain certain messages that you recognize that are just part of your DNA. And I just kind of searched the Lord to say, Lord, what's, you know, there's lots of things we can say. I just, I, every once in a while, I just, the Lord will just say, almost say, hey, you know, what, what, where's your heart? What's on your heart? And this is just one of those things that's on my heart. And the message of my heart, I think if you could boil down a lot of what I, I say and believe that comes out of me frequently, this would be probably the essence of it. And so I just want to dive into that a little bit today. But, um, you know, I was just thinking about different things, uh, you know, just to get my mind started on this thought this morning. And, and I kind of, I think it started because I went into an, an escape room the other day. And it took me three hours to get out. <laughs> and I realized it was Ikea. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And now I realize that, you know, going into my teenager's room is like going into Ikea. I just kind of go in to see what's new and I come out with like, you know, 10 plates, three cups, and a pair of socks. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think there's a, a similar rite of passage that we all share as adults and parents, and, and it, it, it kind of revolves around putting some piece of furniture together from Ikea or some, you know, piece of prefab, you know, prefab furniture. You know, has anybody ever done that? Am I the only person that's ever done that? Woo, that's a fun stuff. That's just really good stuff right there. And there's that moment when you're doing this and you got stuff spread everywhere and you got that little packet of screws and, and, and everything and you try to lay it out and it's got... Some of it has stickers on it. Some of it doesn't. And there's that moment where you're looking around and you start scratching your head. Oh, man, missing something. I forgot something. And you get the instructions out. And you, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is, only, this is only dads, right? Just kidding. I know moms do this stuff too. But, and, and then when you can't find it, there's this... Maybe audible, maybe not audible, but there's this cursing that goes on inside of you for the manufacturer and how stupid they are, right? <laughs> Who did these directions? Has anybody, come on, has anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about, right? And it just brings up such great feelings of joy on the inside. Oh. I was thinking about that, and I realized that there's sometimes in our life when our faith just doesn't work outright, it's not working. It's not, I'm doing this, I'm trying this, I'm working it, it's just not working. And, and you're, you know, you get discouraged and you're frustrated and maybe you're even mad at God. It's like, what's not working here? And I, I think it happens. And I, and I think I've heard that tone a lot in the last couple of years. And I think that's why this is on my heart. Because I think some of us feel like we're in that moment where we're just like, I'm not like everybody else. I got, I, got, I got the package that's missing stuff. 
Everybody else, seems, their faith seems to be working. They get it. And they just put it together. And they did it an hour and a half. Why is it taking me nine days? It's just not right. And, you know, and sometimes we feel that way. And, and it's just really easy to get mad at God. But let me just, can we just start off by agreeing to say that he has never failed us? He has never failed and he has never failed to keep his word. Ever. I was hoping that there was maybe something more of an amen there. God has never failed in his word, ever. Even, even if you think there is something wrong, I think I, I'm going to ask you today to just to say, if there's something going wrong with that, can we commit to say that it has to be us? It has to be me. It can't be, can't be God. He is good. Period. End of discussion. I hope that that's in us. So I'm hoping that we can start with that platform. If we can, then we can really get a long way today in this, in this message. Because I, I believe there's going to come a day, <laughs> maybe you're here now and you're like, this is not working. I've tried this. I've tried Jesus. I've tried church. I've tried stuff. I've tried to do my faith. I've tried to do all the stuff that everyone tells me to do. It's not working. But I'm telling you, in, in, there's going to come a day for all of us when we step beyond the veil of this, of this side of eternity and we step into eternity and in a moment we're going to go, Oh, 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 that makes sense. I get it. Right now, you don't. Down here, we, there's a lot of ignorance and there's a lot of darkness, and we just need to know that. We live with ignorance and darkness. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. But please, never doubt his character. Never doubt his goodness. Never, never doubt that. He is beautiful, forever beautiful, forever faithful. As a matter of fact, there was a discussion like this that happened in the book of Job. You kind of remember that? Does anybody remember that? A little bit of that that was going on? And bad things happened to Job. His life got unraveled, unraveled bad. Everything, he lost it all. I mean, bad, bad stuff. And he has these three friends who come to him, you know, that talk to him, the philosophers and the intellects, and they're all sitting around. And, and, and for the most of the book of Job, they're trying to figure out why, you know? They're debating why, why bad stuff is happening. Why do bad stuff happen to good people? You know, and they're just going through this and they're debating and baiting and they're going through it back and forth, back and forth through the whole book of Job. And then finally God gets in on the conversation, right? And he spoke from a whirlwind and God, here's, and, and God steps in and, and, and in the midst of these three guys are going, why, 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 what's going on? And, and, and it, God steps in and he doesn't answer their questions. You would think, these guys want to know why. What's, what's happening here? Why was I born? Why was why does all this stuff happen? And there was nothing that could satisfy their question. They, they, they tried everything. They went everywhere and they went down every avenue they could to figure out why this is going on. Why are why is this guy dealing with all this stuff? And God didn't go, you know what? I tell you what, here's why. <laughs> if you read it, it's, it's one of those parts of the Bible you just like kind of like lope. <laughs> God basically says, put your seatbelt on. I got some stuff to tell you. And he doesn't answer his questions. He says, hey, by the way, where were you when I laid the foundations of this? Where were you when, and what about, and I'm, I can just see Job is like, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. And God just, I don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I'm, I. I don't know. 
You know, I mean, that's what that conversation was. It, it, it was not a pretty, it was not a pretty scene. And God just getting after him. Because the truth is, the issue is what, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff we have no idea. What are you going to do when you just don't know why? What are you going to do when you just don't know why? And because the truth is, and, and we know this, if you have to know before you tr- believe, then it's not faith anymore. No faith there. It's gone. That's what faith is all about. And I know that sometimes, you know, you, I, we, I just don't understand and we get upset and we get put out. But like I said, um, don't ever doubt his goodness. And so I'm, what I'm hoping today is just to give us a picture and allow your heart just to be able to, to get to that place where when you're in those tough places, what are you going to do? Because I know that there's people here in this room and I know throughout this year and I maybe even next year, whenever there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to be in a tough place, what are you going to do? There's never going to be a time in your life where you're going to have all the answers because the Lord just is not going to show you. That's not the way that he works. But the truth is, here's the thing. Here's the good news is you don't have to know everything to fight the fight of faith. That's the awesome thing about this. That's the awesome thing about being a believer in Jesus. It's a fight of faith. It's not a knowledge fight. It's a fight of faith. Not knowing all the answers fight. That's this fight that we're engaged in right now. We, don't, we just don't know all this stuff. You don't have, been, but that's the cool thing. You don't have to know all the answers to fight this fight. So it's a faith fight. It's a trust fight. You can trust and you can have faith when you don't have a clue of what's going on. And so what's going to get you through all those dark hours and those dark times and those moments when it's hard is when you can look up through your tears and when you can look up through your confusion And when you can look through all the massive darkness and unanswered questions that you're going to face now and forever, and you can say, God, I don't know why. I don't understand all that's going on right now, but I know this. This I do know. You are a good God. You are a good God, and and you are real, and I can trust you, and I don't care what happens ever in this life. I will never stop trusting you. There has to be that in us. And I want, I want that for myself. I want that for all of us, that there is that in us, that we can look up through whatever's going on and we can have that kind of a tenacity. So Lord, help us get there. That is what will get you through anything, is having that kind of a posture and that kind of a heart. And he will uphold you with the right hand of his righteousness. It's in that moment that he will put you on a rock. It's, in, it's with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a faith that the Lord will do something different in your life. And even if you don't get it, even if you never get it, and it's your last breath, and you're saying, but God, I believe you. And you cross over, and the Lord's like, good job. I mean, if I can go out dying that way, yes, amen. I'm I'm great with that. And I've said this, I've had this conversation with some people here recently, and I was just talking about how that I have to, I mean, he is the transcendent other than God of this universe. And if I ever think for a minute that he has to close the gap for my understanding, then he ceases to be the transcendent God of this universe. I don't want that. I'm okay with the mystery and the wonder of God, and I'm okay with all the questions out there forever. I don't need to know. I'm okay. I will still trust him. He is forever God. He's forever good. Amen. So I just want to dive into this. 
Because the truth is, I know that in this world, if you're going to have that kind of faith, it's going to require a fight to keep that kind of faith in you. It's, it's, a, it's an all-out fight. It really is. There's a lot of stuff, and you guys know this. You know this, especially in the time that we, there's a lot of stuff that wants to shake that kind of faith off of you. There's a lot of things that have happened to you even now to this point that wants to shake that attitude. I'll shake that. I'll show. You can just imagine the enemy. When I say a declaration like what I just said a little bit, he, oh, let me, we'll just shake you down a little bit and see if you still have that tune. And this world wants to do that to you. We'll shake you down until you shut up about that kind of stuff. I don't want to hear it because they don't want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. What they want to hear is you just agreeing with all this stuff that they're saying. Am I right? But I'm hoping that somewhere in this room, I am a, I'm a surrounded by other people who are faith fighters. I hope there's some of you here today, not against flesh and blood, not against that. I'm talking about anything that tries to get you to quit believing anything. And there's a lot, there's a lot. And that I'm hoping that something in you says, I go into fight mode. You trying to shake that stuff off of me? I'm going to get serious. I'm going to get really ugly. I'm going to become a wall. And you can't, you know, that, that has to be in you. What? You're trying to shake that off? No way. It ain't happening. No. What do you mean there's multiple ways to Jesus? Man, that, there's something needs to rise up and, and say, no, 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 no. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. You know, there's, there's going to be all kinds of, well, you know, no. You have to have that thing because, there's, like I said, there's just going to be a lot. So what I want to do is just kind of take us through how to fight that kind of a fight. So we're going to look at Paul. Paul was talking to Timothy just about these kinds of things. Because he knew that Timothy, here's the voice of experience, Paul. You know, he had some things that wanted to shake him from his faith. There's a whole list of that in the New Testament. And here's Timothy, he's new. And, and, and so Paul's trying to explain to him, here's, here's what it's going to take to get you through. Okay, so let's look at this in 1 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and of the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Because we all know you can teach politics and social reform and experience and feelings and everything else, but what are we called to preach? The word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The time will come when people just don't want to hear the word. They don't want to hear it. They want to hear what they want to hear, what appeals to them and confirms their way of thinking and what they like to hear. Are we surrounded by people like that? It's called secularism. Can I just say this too? If, you, if we understand this relationship that Jesus is our Lord, he is our master, you're going to hear some stuff from him every once in a while that you're not going to like. Okay, so that just happens. That's part of the relationship. It's okay. It's, that's the way it is. Verse 4. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Not everyone wants to hear the truth. And even if they've heard the truth, sometimes they just still don't want it. That happens. You, know, you see that on occasion. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. Verse 5 and 6. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. Because the truth is, we're all going to be out of here sometime soon, and we should never be afraid to leave. We should never be afraid for when that departure happens. Death for a believer is not termination, it's just transition. We transition from this 
to the heavenly realm of eternity. Just a transition. And so Paul, you know, he's traveled the world. He started churches. He's done all this kind of stuff. He's been shipwrecked. He's, you know, like I said a little bit ago, he's been shipwrecked. He's had bad things happen to him. He's had revival in one minute and riot the next minute. But now he says, what he says here is, I am finished. And he, was, he didn't say, I'm scared. He says, I'm, my time's done. I'm finished. And, and so when, when the time for your departure comes, I'm hoping that something in you says, I'm ready. I am ready. And even this, what it says here in verse 7, I have fought and this is what he's trying to get into. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. It was good. I finished my course. Can I just encourage you, my brothers, don't go until you have finished your job, finished your course, done what you were supposed to do. You have a job. Don't leave it early. Stay in your job. Get it done. Because if you don't get it done, somebody coming behind has got to get it done. The Lord has a job for every one of us. So he's telling him, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all those who loved his appearing. So he's telling Timothy, hey, listen, this is a fight of faith. What you're called to do as a, as a, a believer, Timothy, is it's going to require a fight of faith. So how, how do you do it? Okay, so you hear me saying all that. Well, what, what does that look like? It's a good question. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and Paul's going to show us how we fight this good fight of faith. So I think, I think we kind of know that. It's like, yeah, I know. I realize that. So what do we do? How does, how does this happen? How can I stay in that fight, and how can I be effective in that fight? How can I do the right? How can I really be the very best at this that I can be? So let's look at this. Here it says in 1 Timothy 6, Verse 12, we'll look at verse 12 and 13. Fight the good fight of faith, he says. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So notice, the first thing he says after good fight is a profession or confession. It's part of that fight. Verse 13, I charge in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. How do you fight the good fight? It's, it's with your confession. Oh, you're going to talk about that? Yeah, we, we, I, we, this is, we really need to talk about this. It's really important we talk about this. This is where, in my opinion, if you ask me to, to put it into specifics, this is where we've gotten off the rails in the last couple of years. It's right here. I, I believe this, and that's why I want to talk about it. I think it's good for us just to go, oh yeah, this is how we fight. There's this confession. There is power in faith-filled words, and there is defeat when you relinquish faith-filled words. There's power when we speak words of faith, and we relinquish it when we're speaking anything that's not that. You and I, I mean, because you and I here, all of us, we've been created in the image of God, and God is a speaking spirit. He speaks all the time. So that's the image that we've been created in. But, but the problem is, we live in a world that's full of a lot of idle chatter. A lot of just talk to talk to talk. And I mean, our text and everything else is just idle chatter. And I know we have to communicate and all that kind of stuff, but honestly, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, what I'm talking about there. But it, it, it reduces 
it reduces things down to zero when we're just surrounded by this. The masses of people on the planet have empty, powerless words. The masses of people have non-productive, non-faith-filled, empty words coming out of their mouth. Because the truth is, you can say something, and what you're saying is either putting fear and doubt and unbelief and confusion into dep- and depression into something, or it's putting victory-filled, life-filled, faith-filled words into it. Every conversation you have is either doing one or the other of those. So, if, but if we'll just take the time and go, wait a minute. Part of this faith fight is I have to, I got to do something about the words that are coming out of my mouth. And, and that's what I'm saying. If we do, if we will begin to be recognized that the Lord is calling us to be aware of the words that are coming out of our mouth, that we're speaking faith-filled, life-filled, promise-filled, Jesus-filled words, that's where power comes from. That's where power is released. I've never seen power released from somebody speaking doubt and unbelief and depression and everything else. There's no power. in it. It's, it's devoid. It's non-productive. And so what we're going to do in just a second, we're going to check out in just a second, because that's what it talks about here in 1 Timothy. We're going to check out the faith-fighting champion of all time. We're going to check out and see how Jesus did this, because that's what it talks about. It gives us that example. I mean, he's the heavyweight contender of all when it comes to faith-filled, life-filled, victory-filled words. He, he gets it. Father-pleasing, world-overcoming, faith-filled words. I want that. Do you want that? Don't you want to be around people that are like that? I know that sometimes you can get around somebody that's like that and it just rubs you the wrong, but that's okay. Like I said, Jesus, Jesus, the master and Lord is going to speak sometimes and you're like, ah, you know, I know that's truth, but mm, yeah, it's all right. That's what that's called transformation. It's okay. We want to be transformed. I mean, the, like, I, like we say all the time, the Lord loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way. Thank God. So he's always transforming us. There's always iron sharpening iron. That's okay we want to grow. Let me just look at real quick the Amplified of chapter, verse 12 there. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you are summoned and for which you were confessed and good confession of faith before many witnesses. Lay hold. Lay hold. That's what this fight is about. Lay hold of that thing. Why do you need to lay hold of or grab and hold on to that? Because there's always something that wants to steal that word away from you. There's always something that wants to shake that off of you. The fight is not trying to get God to do something because he's already done everything. You can't really look at me today and say, well, he just, he left a few things undone. The work of the cross in Jesus and the father is complete. And you can't. It's not trying to get the devil to stop doing stuff because he's been defeated. That's a done deal. That's already been taken care of. So it's not an issue of God, will you do this? Devil, stop doing that. It's an issue of you not letting anything, anything or anybody take away what is yours that was given to you by the Father that is part of who you are as a believer and a, and a, and a beloved of Jesus. He put that, he deposited it and gave you that and you got to hold on to it. You got to lay hold of that thing because everything around you in this world wants to strip it away from you. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower when he said that's what's going to happen. The seed's going to come and immediately something's going to try to take it away. That's the nature of the enemy. Why? Because he knows he can't, 
He's defeated, so all he can do is try to shake and, and shake you down and try to get away that word that is yours. That's yours. It belongs to you. And he knows that. And that's how the devourer works. He loves to worm his way and wiggle his way in there because that's the only way he can do it. He can't just come up and say, hey, that's mine. Unless we relinquish it and just give it up. We can do that. And he looks for that. He loves that. But, but what's he saying here? Lay hold on it. You hold on to that word. You grab onto that word and you hold on to it like it's everything to you. This word of God is my life. It's everything and nothing's going to shake this out of me. You try and I'm going to become a wall. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to get. I'm going to become a wall. It's not, this is not going to happen. And there's times where we have to get bold. And, and, and there's times when the Lord said that we need some spiritual backbone, my brothers and sisters. And this is one of those times where it's okay for you to have that kind of spiritual backbone and say, I will not let anything shake out this precious deposit, this precious word the Lord has deposited in my heart. I'm not going to let it happen. I'm a good fighter. There's, a, there's one thing in, in my life I can tell you this, is I'm not a quitter. And I'm not quitting on Jesus. I am not quitting on him. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how it feels. I don't care. And I've said this a million times, that you can stack up all the existence and all the experiences of everybody in this world from, from the time of Adam till now, and I don't care how dark and ugly and bad it ever is, I will not quit on believing in the goodness and the beauty and the character of Jesus. Even if everything around me says it's just a mess, I don't care. I'm not quitting. I'm not letting go. You can't shake it out of me. Where did all this stuff happen? Where does it all start? We're going to look at this a little bit more. You ready? Can we push in just a little bit more? You guys are good. <laughs> and, and let me just say, I, I, I know the Lord when he sees that. Can you imagine what it does when he sees that in his kids? Because he knew. He knew the way he was. He came. He did everything he did. And he says, it's yours. And then when we take that and we hold on to it, he's like, yes, they got it. And he, and he wants us to do exactly what he did. He wants us to do that. As a matter of fact, you get over in the book of Revelation, you'll see a little bit. This is not just something that Jesus did at one time. In Revelation 1.16, it says, In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Verse, chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. How does the Lord fight? Does he ball up his fist? You know, that's flesh and blood. That's weak. That's ineffective. Just ask Will Smith. He'll tell you. It doesn't work. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Oh, well. Fist and all that doesn't win any battle. What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with casting down imaginations and strongholds and thoughts. And how do you fight wrong thoughts and feelings and suggestions? You can't fight that physically. You can't fight that stuff physically. How does Jesus fight? You find out all through the book of Revelation, it talks about him leading his army. And he's faced by these hordes of enemies and everything else. And he doesn't have guns and knives and he doesn't have the Avengers or anybody else with him. He's, it says he fights with the sword of his mouth. And we need our minds renewed in this. And that's what I'm asking you. Just open up your heart to say, Lord, renew my mind in this. Because we fight the fight of faith just like Jesus, where he believes something in his heart, and you will always see that it comes out of his mouth. What he believes in here, he speaks. Then that's what it's talking about here in Revelation. 
And we're going to look at this here in just another portion of Scripture. This is, and as a matter of fact, this is pretty much how everything got created, right? The Lord envisioned it, had it in his heart, and then he spoke it, and here we are. And so I know, again, I, you know, I know that oftentimes when there's a problem, there's a difficulty, there's a challenge, there's whatever the enemy is throwing our way that wants to get us to shake our faith. And I know, I know that sometimes our, our first thought is, I need to load up my mouth with some faith-filled, victory-filled words. A lot of times it's, I need to get on Google and check that out. What has Google got to say about this, whatever that's going on? That's usually where we go to, but where's the answer? Right here. So this faithful fight, here's where it started. It all started, and I'm thinking nearly everybody in this room has experienced this, so that's why I feel confident about this, because I know pretty much everybody here has experienced exactly what I'm going to say right here. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. How close is it? How close is the word of God to you? It's as close as your mouth. Can I just say it this way? The answer that all of you need and have been searching for is right under your nose. The answer you all are looking for, it's right there. It's your mouth. It's right there all the time. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. That's, man, that's just, that's just mind-blowing. It's just mind-boggling to think about this. But the truth is, I mean, how, I know that there are silent believers. <laughs> they think, you know, it's, that's just strange. Why do we have to say this stuff? Why are you telling me to say stuff and do this kind of stuff? I just want to be quiet. You know who else wants you to be quiet? The enemy does not want to hear you say this stuff. And yet the Father asked you to say it from the very beginning. If you want salvation, you got to take that belief in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, and you got to add words to it. And the moment that you added words to and you said, Jesus is Lord, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that moved over the face of the waters and created everything, came inside of you and made you a new creation. He took out a heart of stone and he put in a heart of flesh. All the old things that were there passed away and everything became new. That's a, a miraculous, I mean, that's one of the most miraculous things that any of us will ever experience. And it's eternal. How did it happen? You believe something in your heart and you set it out of your mouth. And that began the miracle called new creation. You all experience that. Am I right? Has anybody ever experienced new creation? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here born again, believers in Jesus? What about the rest of you? Nobody, nobody. <laughs> That's where it started. Lord, I confess you as Lord. And I know you, you might be saying, I, I just don't know if I can believe for a miracle. You already have, you are a miracle. That new creation on the inside of you is a living miracle all the time. Believing God to take away cancer, believing God to set your finances in order, believing God to restore your marriage, that's temporal. Making you a new creature for eternity, that's a miracle. 
Wow. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what's that saying? You can believe all day long, but if you want salvation, you're going to have to say something. You got to say something, right? So that's, it starts there. Believing has been talked about, and that's why, because believing has been talked about, but confession has not been talked about enough. We're really good about getting belief and getting knowledge. You just need to know more stuff, know more stuff. But listen, we can't just believe. You got to say these things. We have to, those faith-filled, victory-filled, life-giving words have to come out of our mouth. That's the good fight of faith. And so, like I said, the example was given to us by Jesus. Jesus, one of the best examples, when he was standing before Pilate. You remember that? And Pilate's talking disrespectfully and, and dismissively to him. He even says, you don't know, <laughs> I could kill you, or I could kill you, or I could spare you. You, you know this. You, actually, turn over to John chapter 18. We'll look at that here in just a minute. Luke talks about how that he sent, um, you know, th- that Pilate was so bad that one time he sent a, a bunch of people down the, where the Galileans were, were, were meeting, and he went, in, he went in and slaughtered them and mixed their blood with their animal sacrifices. I mean, he was not a nice guy. I know that sometimes we try to paint a picture here, but he really, in the end, was not a nice guy. Pilate had no problem, no problem killing people. That's what he did. That was his job, part of his job. So he had the power of life and death here in this moment. Jesus knows that naturally what he's dealing with as he comes before Pilate, and he knows that spiritually he's on this course to the cross. He's been telling his disciples about it. Now he's here, and now he's before Pilate. And, you know, he, the truth is, we know that he willingly laid his life down because he really already laid that down before the Lord. Now, did his flesh really want that? No. Jesus even said that. He says, not my will, but yours. I mean, the truth is he, he really didn't want to do that, but he, he willingly laid it down. He had already laid his life down before the Lord. He had already made that transaction and, and that heart and, and surrendered his heart and his life to the Lord. But here he is now. He's looking death in the face. Here's Pilate right in front of him. John chapter 18, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or do others say it to you about me? <clears throat> Does that sound like he's scared? <laughs> I mean, is he scared of Pilate? No. I mean, is he scared of dying on the cross? No. <laughs> His response doesn't show any fear at all. He, why? Because he's full of faith. Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to, over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, but I might, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. I mean, Jesus knew in this moment he could have called on the legions of angels to come and take him away from all of this. Pilate had no idea how precarious his situation was. He probably thought he was the big deal. I hold this guy's life in my hands, you know, whatever. And Jesus knows, I'm calling an angel, but that's not what this thing's about. I'm on a course. I'm doing what I have willed to do and what the Father has willed to do. And so I'm not going to do that. But the truth is, his life was was in Jesus' hands. Verse 37, Pilate said said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Faithless people would have started crying and begging for their life in this moment. I mean, really. 
You know, they might have been compromising their beliefs and saying some stuff they really shouldn't be saying. Because the truth is, you say the wrong thing here, and it's just death, right? I mean, it's it's just a it's one of those situations. But Jesus didn't he didn't even hesitate. You know, I mean, there's just pure confidence that Jesus has in this moment. Where did that come from? He'd been fighting this fight of faith. It's the tone that you can hear. I, I was just reading this the other day in Mark chapter 12. You know, you'll see that throughout the Gospels. You know how the, the religious leaders are just constantly trying to get Jesus to trip up and say something, trying to catch him into something and trick him, trap him, all that kind of stuff. And I, I like that there is one of the last things in John chapter 12, uh, and they, they came, they think they've got the question, you know, and they bring it to him, they ask him the question. But what I like is at the end of it, they says, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I mean, he wasn't just passively like, well, I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you think? Do you think? I mean, he spoke, it says constantly, he spoke with authority. And people were awestruck. Even had, it was like they took their breath away because they had not been used to that kind of authority. And you hear the language, the way he spoke to people. There was no fear. There was no, I mean, he, the words of his mouth were powerful. In John chapter 19, it says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. You will not speak to me? Question mark. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Again, people would be, Oh, please, no. Jesus said, You would have no authority over me at all unless you've been given to from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. I mean, you don't say this to an egotistical, power-hungry guy who's about ready to, you know, has your life in his hands. But Jesus did. What are, we, what are we talking about this for? The master who has these unswerving, unbending, unwavering, faith-filled words. That was not just here before Pilate, but that was his ministry. That was the fight. Think about it. Take some time to go back through the Gospels. I just got done reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John in the last two weeks, and I just, just wanted to go through it, and you'll just see the tone and the words, the, the power, the authority of his words. That was where the, that was where the fight was. Jesus, there was not this physical kind of, it was, it was the words of his mouth just, it, and it just antagonized the religious leaders and it just baffled people. What were they? They were just the words of his mouth. But he knew he couldn't just come down here and be silent. Could you imagine? That, that was the fight that the master came down here with these words of another kingdom that just, it was, it was other than. And, and, it, and it just shook the realm of the spirit and it just shook the enemy because he hated it. And he looks death and he looks pilot and he looks grave and he looks hell and he looks sin in the face and says, you have nothing over me. You have no power over me. Zippo. And that's what it's talking about in, in, first, in, first, uh, in Timothy there, chapter six. Follow after the master and his good confession before Pilate. When in that moment, he says, you have nothing. You have no power. Something needs to rise up in us, church, in this moment, in this time, in this dispensation, in this hour, where the enemy is just doing everything he can to shake you away from what you know, shake you away from the truth of God's word. And something has, there, there has to, we have to engage in a fight. We really do. You, and, and I'm so thankful that this comes on the heels of what Pastor Maddox has been talking about in the book of Ephesians which tells you who you are. 
talks about who you are, explains all this stuff that who you are. Now take that of who you are and do something with it. You can't just stuff that in the back of your Bible and go, hey, I'm all that. You have to say those things with your mouth. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You want to know how you talk to depression? You have no power over me. Cancer, you have no place in my house. That's how you talk to it. I, I, there's zero tolerance I have with cancer and depression. No, it's, you're not mine. I, I, you, you have no power. Poverty, you cannot hold me. Addiction, you have no power over me. You have no control over me. That's called the fight of faith. Because everything around you, your feelings, your thoughts, and your background, and how you were raised, and what everybody on the internet wants to tell you, wants to shake you off of that. But you lay hold of the scripture and you say, no, you have no power over me. You have no authority over me. Cancer, you have no place in my house. You've got to go. I have no place for sickness in this house. There's no room. We've got to have those kinds of words in our mouth, brothers and sisters. That's what the Lord's looking for from us. And you do this in faith until change comes. But it, I'm going to tell you, power is not going to be released until you talk with that kind of faith-filled word. Mark chapter 11, one of my favorite scriptures. I've heard this a lot, but there's power in this. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 just says, I tell, I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, and can I just say the word of God calls those mountains? That's how the word of God sees things. Anything that's not the will of God in your life, that's a mountain. And here's what it says. Anyone, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Does that sound like authority? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's a place for this mountain. Maybe the Lord wants to teach me something with this mountain. Maybe I'm supposed to endure this mountain. Maybe this is part of God's whatever plan. No, it's a mountain. Throw yourself into the sea. But here's, notice here's what it says. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes what they say. Not what God says. Or anyone. You have to believe the words that are coming out of your mouth. He's put those words in your mouth. He's given you the authority. He's given you the scripture. He's already defeated the devil and he's already done all the work. And now he says, what are you going to say? What do you have to say to this mountain? I've already said what I've said. I called it a mountain. I have a zero tolerance policy to that, but what are you going to say about that? Well, I say, be removed, be cast in the sea. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you say. The problem is, you know why we don't believe what we say? Because we are, our mouths are filled with idle chatter. We say those things and there's no authority in them anymore because our mouths are just consumed with just a bunch of idle chatter. So we have to stop what's going on here and we have to arrest those, those words and begin to exchange them with words that are filled with faith. We got to stop agreeing with, with what the world is saying about it. And we got to start saying, what does the word God is saying here? Amen. No matter how much the enemy wants to move you. We're going to sing that song that we open with here in a minute, but I just, I, 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 just, I just need to say a little bit. Because here's the deal. The fight itself is more important than the results. Even if I never get the results, even if what I'm telling you and I never see the results of that, I, I want my master to know that I'm fighting and contending for that truth that he gave me. I don't fight just for the results. I fight because that's his truth. For the honor of my master's words. 
And if he declared that, who am I to disagree with that? And so I'm going to say what he says regardless if I ever get results. It's not about me get saying it till I get it. It's about me agreeing with what he said. And that's what the essence, that's, that's, what he, that's, what game, that's what day number one was in Genesis when he says he didn't, day one wasn't sun and moon. Day, that was day four. Day one was here's light, here's darkness. These two can't mix. They never will mix. That tension of light and darkness was, was created by our father. He says, no, they won't. They, they won't and they can't mix. And you see that in the essence of the New Testament. You see that in the book of Ephesians when it says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, which we just talked about, but it says you do wrestle in the verse. It says it four times against principalities, against rulers, against, against. He says it four times. You do wrestle. You just got to wrestle against the right thing. There is a fight. You just got to fight against the right thing. We can't be submit. We can't be passive about this thing. We have a fight here. But here's what it says at the book of, at the end of Ephesians, and I, and I just really this gripped me the other day. In that same chapter, it says, "And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, make, making supplication for all saints." And also, but so he follows up the, the whole armor of God. Why would he give us the armor of God if we're not supposed to fight? It's not a decoration piece. And he says at the end of that, he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Does that sound like the fight of faith? That's the fight of faith. Oh, everything in me just saying, brothers and sisters, can we fight the fight of faith? Can we just lay hold of these things and just say, God, help me to get in agreement with what you're saying. Let those words begin to come out of my mouth, not just for me and my family, but you know there is a bunch of people in this area that need to hear a different, a different rhetoric and a different tone coming from the body of Christ than what we've been giving. We just, a lot of times we're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, it's just too bad because we don't, I mean, they're looking for somebody who has something different in their mouth, who will gather some words of faith, faith-filled words, and speak a promise of authority in that moment, just like Jesus did when he's here. They're looking, they're hungry, they're dying for that. I want, we need to be that church. We are that church. Amen? So I want you to stand with me this morning. I, there's just so much more. Just, just, there's, this is one of those messages I can just, I have to kind of calm down on because it's just, I feel it so deeply because... I, I hate, I hate that picture of the enemy just shaking somebody down until they're just like, oh, I'm done. I have nothing. I'm done. I, I don't want that. I want for us a different story. I think what would be really awesome, we're, these guys are going to sing this song, and they were singing that this morning. I'm like, that's a perfect song. Yes. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you just to gather around another person or two, and I'm going to ask you, to make a declaration of a mountain that you are currently, it's in front of you. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's, maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your body is falling apart. Maybe whatever that mountain is in front of you. And I'm just going to ask you to take some time to think about what, you, what are you going to say to it? It's your moment to speak to that mountain. What are you going to say to it? And I'm just going to ask you to find one person and share that declaration of faith, that confession. And, and we're going to believe that power is going to be released as you agree with what the word of God is saying. Can we do that during this song? So take a little bit and just think about what it is. And then through the song, just find somebody and share that, share that with them. Okay. 
So we'll let these guys go ahead and get started on this song, and you just let the Lord speak to you. What is your mountain, and what are you going to say to it? And then we're going to find somebody to share it with.